Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the ways that you want to speak to us, Lord, and how you have been working through this letter to the Colossians, Lord, to transform our hearts. Pray that as we open the scriptures today, you continue, Lord, to convict us, to transform us, to change us by the power of your spirit. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, welcome everybody to our service today. Wherever you're watching from, just drop in a comment, say hello, let us know that you are here and listening. We'd love to say hi. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, it may be your first time with us today. My name is Justin. I am the pastor here at Zion. Uh, And we are in a series in the book of Colossians in the New Testament, which is written by the Apostle Paul. We're at the uh, far end of our series now, wrapping up in the excuse me, in the next few weeks. Uh, And so today we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to chapter 4, verses 1. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can open it there. You can uh, open your phone app, whatever it is that you do, and read along. Uh, Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about relationship dynamics. First, we covered wives and husbands, and we covered children and parents. Uh, Today, we're covering servants and masters, servants and masters. And so let's read, uh, starting in verse 22. Uh, You can read to me with me to chapter 4, verse 1, and then we'll jump in. Paul says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. I think I skipped actually verse 23 there. So verse 22, fearing the Lord, and then whatever you do, work heartily for as to the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right, so to start out today, uh, I want to touch on this word translated. I read from the ESV translation, uh, this word translated as bondservants. And to, to put it frankly, uh, this is actually not the correct translation, or it's a nicer way of saying slaves. And uh, so I want to tackle that topic first. If you look at other translations, you see that really there's a 50-50 split on how to translate this word, the more literal translation slave or uh, the other translation, which would be servants. Uh, And this is why. Uh, When we say slave today in our English vernacular, uh, what we are thinking about uh, is we are thinking about automatically American slavery. American slavery, which in the history of, you know, slavery in the world, which is extensive, is by far, if not the worst, then one of the worst versions of slavery uh, in world history. Uh, And so when translating this word, uh, not using the word slave, in order to keep us from directly thinking of American slavery and misusing the verse as so often uh, masters in American uh, slavery history uh, in the South and and, in the United States would use verses like these in order uh, to try to get the slaves to do what they wanted to do. And so in order to um, stop 
people from misusing it in that way and also not directly go to American slavery. Translators have, have changed that word. I would say about, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, there's lots of Bible software out there. You can look at all the different translations of one verse. It's really a 50-50 split. Some are, are go with the literal and some go with uh, the word servant. Um, and like I said, it, it's because there's this, uh, this, this kind of tension of when we say slave, uh, everybody's going to be thinking about American slavery, yet uh, that is not the world in which the biblical author was living and talking to. Uh, and so in order to keep us to going directly to there, they, they changed that word. Here it's made bondservants. Um, but historically, uh, here are the main differences, because I know this is kind of a question that comes up whenever this verse comes up, you know, what was slavery like back then? Here are the main differences between slavery in the ancient world uh, specifically Rome, I'm going to be talking about, uh, and then slavery uh, as it was in American history. Uh, so slavery in the ancient world, probably the biggest difference was not based on race. Uh, there, It was very ethnically diverse, uh, who was slaves and who weren't. Slaves could be freed uh, in the ancient world in Rome, uh, whether uh, they could purchase their own freedom with wages that they accrued with their work, or they could be set free for work well done. Although this didn't happen all the time, it was possible uh, to get out of slavery, another big difference between American slavery and ancient Roman slavery. Uh, slaves came primarily from two places in the Roman Empire. Uh, they came as prisoners of war. Uh, so if the Roman Empire would go out and conquer and they would battle another nation, they would conquer that nation, they would take slaves as that nation, of the army of the people as prisoners of war and bring them back into the Roman Empire as labor or as a judgment against a person for a wrongdoing. Uh, so back then, they didn't have a prison system like we have today. Uh, and so when people did something wrong, you don't necessarily go to uh, a jail, a prison system like we have. Of course, they had jails. Uh, Paul would write from jail constantly, but uh, jail was awaiting sentence. And then once you got sentenced, uh, what happened was you would pay retribution uh, monetarily, you would be killed, you know, depending on what it was, or you'd be put into slavery. And slavery was a way of working off your debt, a uh, way of working off whatever your judgment was. And so, that, and, and so in the Roman Empire, the two primary ways that you would become a slave, uh, or the two primary ways that they got slaves was from conquering other empires, um, and from judgments against people for wrongdoings that they did in court. And so the last probably big difference was that there was no way to tell who a slave was and who a slave wasn't. Uh, and so if you were walking in the streets, you wouldn't be able to say, that person's a slave, that person's not a slave. Um, and, and so that's a huge difference because when slavery is based on race, uh, you can have universal discrimination on people uh, because it's very obvious and easy to tell who is a slave or who was even a former slave uh, and who is a freed person. Uh, and so the Roman Empire never was able to tell anything like this. And so you had free people and slaves walking around all the time. Uh, you had former slaves that would be able to act like normal citizens once they got out of slavery. Uh, they were able to get normal jobs. They were able to purchase property. Uh, they were citizens now. There was, uh, there was no way of knowing uh, in that respect what their past was like. They could do uh, conduct business and walk in the streets as normal like everybody else. Um, and so what is important, though, to note here is that as we talk about this text, 
Paul was not trying to comment on the institution of slavery. He wasn't saying that it was good. He wasn't saying that it was bad. What he is doing in this letter is he is speaking to a church. And in the church, he wants to mature at every level, every believer that is in the church. So he says something to everybody that is at every stage of life. He says something to the wives, to the husbands. He says something to the children. He says something to the parents. He says something to the masters. He says something to the slaves. He says something to all walks of life. He says something to people that are struggling with sin, to people that think they're too righteous, people preaching a false gospel, people doing well. He, he, his goal here is to look at all the different types of Christians in the community and comment on how they can continue to mature as Christians. Uh, the difference between this book, which is a letter to a church, uh, is that this is a this genre is a spe- is a letter and its uh, primary purpose is maturity of the Christian believer. Whereas you have other genres in the Bible, like the prophetic books which directly spoke to institutions like slavery, condemning them and talking about how when nations and cities are built on the oppression of other people, that God would judge those nations, would judge those cities. And we see uh, even how Jesus heard the cry of the Israelites. And you have the story of Exodus, which is the story most quoted throughout all of the Bible. It is the story referred to over and over and over again. It is a story that uh, God instituted as law that Israel remember how God took them out of their slavery, and that's where we get the celebration of Passover, which in that celebration uh, is where Jesus died and resurrected uh, and was one of the greatest types and shadows of Jesus, where he takes us out of the slavery and bondage of sin and into freedom of his kingdom. And so we need to understand the genre of the type of letter that we're reading and realize that Paul was not writing a polemic uh, a, a, a prophetic word against or for slavery uh, and for this institution or about the Roman Empire. He, he was not talking about the Roman Empire at all. His laser focus was on the maturity of the Christian that was living in those households. Um, and so um, while we read, what I, what I think we can take away and what Paul was doing here was he was writing principles. Uh, for the Christian believer. And so what Paul is saying, what I think we can take away some of these principles and relate them to our work-life relationship. And so that's what I'm going to be doing as we walk through these verses uh, together is how do we take this, try to bring it and uh, contextualize it for today. And I think the best way to do that is to look at our work-life relationships. We see that there's a lot that Paul is saying here for us. And so I want to start in verse 22, uh, chapter 3. says, Bond servants or slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Again, I'm going to bring this back to our reality, which I think is appropriate for the text. Um, and so what we can take from this kind of today, I think, is uh, when we look at our work life relationships, when we look at our jobs, you know, uh, the majority of, of us are employees or have somebody that oversees us uh, and looks over us. And so this is a really good way to look at how do we work uh, in the places that we do work and how do we uh, how do we um, do work that is and, and live in an environment of work that has a godly perspective on it. Uh, and not a worldly perspective. Uh, And so the first thing that we see here is when uh, you are 
asked to do a job at work, uh, do it well. Do it well. When you're asked to do a job at work, do it well. Uh, so Paul is trying to say something here uh, that is going to be continually more evident and uh, obvious as he goes along. But what he's what he he starts off with this: what what you are supposed to do, what you are asked to do, what you are told to do, do it, and not by way of eye service as people pleasers. So don't do what you do at work for the applause of people. Don't do what you do as work for a pat on the back. That is not. Uh, the reward that we as Christians look for when we accomplish work for somebody else in our jobs, right? And so when I, I think of nowadays, uh, uh, don't switch your monitor when someone looks at something, um, when someone looks to something more work-related, right? So uh, h- how often are, are we at work and we're surfing the web, we're doing things that are unwork-related, and then uh, somebody is walking by and what is the temptation? Well, let me switch this real quick because I need to pretend Uh, that I'm doing work. That is doing something that that is working with eye service, right? You're not actually working. You're just pretending to work. You you want people to think you are working. Uh, You know, if somebody's about to enter into the room and you're on your phone, what do you do? You flip open a book or something like like that. Why? Because you want someone to think like, oh, he's been reading this whole time Uh, or she's been working this whole time. Uh, and, And that that is doing something that is trying to please people or eye service. Just I, I'm just going to pretend I'm going to uh, make believe that I'm getting work done instead of, of, of actually either accomplishing what I'm doing or uh, taking a break because I just got some hard work done. Um, and so I think what is what's saying here is, is don't think of ways to secretly right go on your phone uh, when you are not supposed to to break the rules, um, to think like, you know what? I know I'm not supposed to do this, and so now I'm going to... I I, I think of, of cheating on tests in high school, uh, right? So if, if you're in high school, just close your ears for a second because I don't want you to listen to this or get any ideas. Um, but unfortunately, when I was in high school, I was a prolific cheater. Um, and that was, I, I say, BC, before Christ, Um because I, I had not fully committed my life to God yet at that point. Uh, and so after, between high school and college, right, I went away for a year. Many of you know my story. Uh, that is where I really experienced salvation. I came back and I went to college. Changed man. Never cheated in college. I, I hated uh, the thought of cheating, but I realized uh, not everybody went through the same transformation that I did from high school to college. And so a lot of the people who cheated in high school uh, cheated in college. And what became very evident and obvious is that uh, this be- is a habit uh, and a way of life for people. That the the point is not working hard and understanding, getting through and doing what you are supposed to do. The point is skating by in order to uh, people please and do eye service so that you can get what you want and ultimately to serve yourself uh, as your own master. And so to do that, I'd rather spend time playing video games and watching Netflix. And so instead of doing my homework and instead of studying, I'm going to do that. And so how do I make up for that and still get a good grade? Well, I cheat. And what happens with people who cheat in high school, then cheat in college, uh, then graduate and go to work? They cheat at work, right? These these habits and things, they form who we are and, and how we live and, and our character and how we act. Uh, and we just take those habits with us 
uh, for the rest of our life unless we experience a transformation of the spirit in our hearts. And so it's very easy if, if we have this mentality from childhood that, you know, the point is for us to serve ourselves and to, to do what we want, uh, to then continually go that route. Uh, and when the time comes, like it doesn't matter whether it's in school or whether it's at work, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to be on my phone. I'm going to be browsing the websites I want to browse anyway. I'll be on the social media platforms, uh, even though I've, I've agreed to not be on these things or I've agreed to get this work done and then I'll just rush through my work or, um, I, you know, I, I'll just clock in my hours and then I will go home. And, and so I think that when we talk about Christian work ethic, there's so much about Christian work ethic, especially if you want to go deeper into this. Look at First and Second Thessalonians. There's a lot in there about Christian work ethic, even in First uh, Timothy. Uh, but when we talk about Christian work ethic, uh, what Paul is saying here is that we do everything we do unto God, truly, sincerely, and to him alone. We don't do it for ourselves. We don't do it for our boss or the person above us, our overseer that is kind of telling us what to do. No, whenever we agree to do work, whenever we uh, are told to do work when it, for our job, when we work, and this is our job description, this is what we're supposed to do, this is what we do. And we don't do it uh, because we want a pat on the back, because we want that promotion. We don't do it because we want this person to see us and smile. We do it because everything that we do, whether we're serving in church, whether we're working at our job, whether we're parenting our children, whether we are caring for a friend, we are doing it unto God. God is very interested in every aspect of our life because the things that we do in secret, the things that we do at work, the things that we do at night, the things that we do with our family, the things that we do with our friendships, all of those things speak volumes about how we relate to and how we understand God. God is interested in our whole heart. He's not interested in 90 minutes on a Sunday morning where we, at this point, are watching a screen or talking on Zoom. No, God is interested in our heart and everything that we are. And so when we talk about the maturity of believer, we are talking about the outworking of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that affects everything we do even our work day to day. Being a mature Christian deeply affects how we work. Christianity is not an escape from work or a reason to neglect our work. I've seen uh, people think that just because they're Christian now, there's more important things in life uh, to do, and so that means that I'm not going to do work or I'm going to neglect work, and, and that's just not the case. Uh, in fact, it's we see the very opposite in Scripture, that work is a deep and meaningful part of our life, of how God created us in the world, that we were called to work in the world. Now, sometimes work is hard, and that's part of the curse, um, but that doesn't neglect the fact that we are here and called to do everything that we do, including the work that we do, uh, unto God and to nobody else. And so we're not trying to escape work, just like we're not trying to escape the world. God has us here. We're not neglecting our work, but Christianity is truly an invitation into a different perspective of our work. And so that's really what changes from not following Christ to following Christ is the, the difference is not the, usually is not the work that we do, uh, but is the perspective on how and why we do the work that we do. 
And so before, our perspective was about success, about money, maybe. Uh, you know, I want to grow, climb up the ladder, uh, or I, I need, uh, I want to make a lot of money. Maybe it's security. I just, I need to put food on my table. You know, I need to feed my family. I need to feed myself. Work is about knowing that I can survive in the future. Uh, you know, these, these are the reasons uh, before God, that these are the natural ways. This is how the world views work. We're, we're doing it for the success. We're doing it for the money. We're doing it for the security. These are the reasons why we work, that we do what we do. And so who cares uh, if we take some shortcuts in the way to get those things, as long as we are achieving the goals of success, money, and security, it's okay how we get there because the outcomes are important. But no, Christianity says now it's not the outcome that is important because God carries all our outcomes. It's the process in which we overlooked in the past that's important. It's the perspective. Now it is not about money, success, and security, right? Our future is secure in God's hands. So that no longer becomes a matter of what we need to look to in the future. Now it is about pleasing God for his rewards, not man's rewards. This is a perspective change. Before it was these worldly rewards that we get, but now uh, our perspective is I'm going to work well because it pleases God. And in this, I will receive his rewards, not man's rewards. Jesus is clear in the gospel several times. He says, if, if you do things for other people, you will receive the reward of other people, applause, and that will be your reward. You will not get the heavenly reward because you've already received your earthly reward. But if you don't do things for the applause of people, for eye service or eye candy or uh, for their pats on the backs and uh, for that success, if you do things for God, you will receive the godly reward, which because you did not get your earthly reward, now you will receive your heavenly reward. And so in verse 23, Paul says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Right? I am no longer serving my boss or my manager at work. I am now serving Christ. And so when I go to work in the morning, no matter how much I hate my manager, no matter how much I hate my boss, no matter how much I hate what I do, or maybe it's the opposite. You love what you do. You love your boss. You love your manager. And that, in turn, motivates you. But Paul is saying the Christian motivation for work is not the people above us, but it's the one that we truly serve above all, and that is Jesus Christ. I am no longer serving an earthly master here. I am now serving Jesus in heaven and everything that I do, even my work from Monday through Friday or whatever your schedule is, I am serving Christ. And so my commitment to my work is no longer an agreement just between me and my employer, but an agreement between me and God. See, scripture is very clear that when our yes is our yes, what we are saying is we don't need all of these other frivolities and contracts and, and swearing and all this. No, when we are a Christian and we say yes, that's yes. So when I get a job description and I agree to this job and, and they're going to pay me X amount of money and I'm going to do this work for them, that for us is saying like we said yes to this. 
That means we're going to do it. And we're not going to do it because I want to please my boss or I want uh, to, to make my manager happy. I'm going to do it because when I say yes to something, I'm saying yes in the eyes of God. And now I'm serving him in doing this by accomplishing my word and, say, and doing what I said I was going to do. This is really, really important because so often we really don't see our work, our weekly, daily responsibilities as part of a, our Christian ethics of how we should live in the world, and that's just untrue. Something even more profound that Paul is saying here is around inheritance, and I don't want us to miss this point. Now, if we remember, Paul is speaking directly to slaves here, and so Slaves could not receive an inheritance. Uh, They were not able to own anything, and as long as you could not own anything, you could not receive an inheritance, which was, uh, you know, passing ownership from one person to another. And so uh, not only could you not own anything, because they would be impossible for you to receive an inheritance. If you did receive an inheritance, it would go to your master, because You could not own anything. Anything that you owned was owned by that person. You know, that would change if they became citizens and were free people, but he's not talking in that context right now. So without the ability to own, they could not receive any inheritance, and they also had no inheritance to pass on. So Paul is now establishing uh, what we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, which was back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. He says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. So in in that sameness, the statutes of the world do not apply to the kingdom of God. No one is elevated above another in regards to value and inheritance. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter how people view you, whether they view you too highly or they view you too low. None of that matters. There's not Jew or Greek. There's not barbarian or uh, Scythian. There is not slave or free. There is not circumcised Jew or Gentile, he's saying, or uncircumcised. There is only what we are in Christ now, what he has called us. And he has called all of us his firstborn son. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. In that ancient society, the firstborn son was the one who had the title that would receive the inheritance. And so now all of us under Christ have the title of firstborn son, which means that we receive the inheritance. It doesn't matter that in the worldly society, they said, slaves, you are not good enough to own. You cannot receive an inheritance. That's not how it goes. But Paul says that earthly value, earthly roles, earthly titles mean nothing in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, you receive an inheritance. In God's kingdom, you are the firstborn. In God's kingdom, we are co-heirs and rulers with Christ. And that's important to understand because Paul is making a distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of God, there is no respecter of persons. There is no partiality. There is no understanding of this one is better than that. This one is a master and this one is a slave. Those things are all abolished in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, all of us receive the inheritance of God in his kingdom. There's true justice, there's true fairness, there's true equity between peoples. There is true judgment of all. 
And in that, that means that all of the people that are in Christ receive the imperishable reward, as it's called in 1 Peter, or here, the inheritance that Paul says. We all receive the inheritance of eternal life from Christ. And I think of maybe the, the, the work in the past was to, to get our boss to like us or to get a promotion or to make it to a place where we can get partnership in the company or stock in the company, rise to that level so that we would have something that we can have for our own to pass on to our children, our friends, or whoever it is that we want to pass on our wealth and our success to and share it with. But the reward now is shifted from this. It's not about how much we can obtain here on earth. The reward is now shifted from earthly gain, which rots and is perishable. As we read in Matthew chapter 6, these things will all disappear it's, it's shifted from earthly gain now to eternal gain, the inheritance of Christ that was given by the Father. And then in verse 25, Paul says this, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So just like the reward will not be earthly, so will the punishment not be earthly. We have talked about this several times, but usually in the context of unjust rulers, that they will receive what is due to them no matter what time or status, no matter what title or status that they hold, there is no partiality in the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter who somebody is, their sin will come back on them in the final judgment. But for true justice, the same is true of the reverse. That is what Paul is saying here. Just because you get away with something at work or in life and no one catches you doesn't mean you will escape justice and not be called to account for what you do. So if you are at work and you think everything is going fine and I get away with this and I get away with that, and as long as nobody knows, nobody's none the wiser, everything is all good. Well, guess what? That is not how it works. You will be called to account for that. There is no partiality, Paul says, and that works for everybody, the low and the high. There is a misconception, I think, in Christianity that Christians have that just because you are a Christian, you will not stand account before God for your actions. And that is a big misconception. 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due. One theologian put it this way, and I loved it. He said, Salvation is according to grace. Judgment is according to works. We have to understand that it doesn't matter how good we've swept things under the rug. It doesn't matter how good we've concealed our little sins and our little world and our bubble. It doesn't matter how good. We will be laid bare before God. All of our works, all of our heart, everything that we have done, everything that we are will be laid bare. And we will all one day stand before judgment of Christ. And all of us will be held to account for what we do. So, okay, fine, you're getting away with things at work in this world. But that doesn't mean you will get away with it in eternity. In fact, we are promised that we won't. After this, Paul then takes it to the masters. Think about this. If you're a boss or a manager of some sort, this is for you. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. 
In Roman rule, a master had a lot of autonomy in how they would treat their servants. Paul is almost giving a threat to the masters here. He's saying, remember, you are not the final say, right? You may have all this autonomy in the earth. You may have final say when it comes to earthly judicial systems. You may be able to legally and lawfully get away with what you are doing. But in the kingdom of God, you will not get away with it. There is a greater judge who will judge you, a greater law than the law of the land, a greater judge than the highest court in the land that will judge you with the absolute law. And you will not escape that judgment. So when you do, it doesn't, whatever you do, who cares if your company says it's okay? Who cares if the law says it's okay? But if you think you are getting away with it, Paul says, remember, you have a master in heaven and you will have to give account to him. Just like in every relationship we have spoken about so far, the masters are no different The bosses, the managers are called to love, which in the word, the verb, the action of love has the action of justice and fairness woven into it. That is what true love is. It is not nice feelings towards one another. It is not doing an outing to a restaurant so everybody likes you and gets motivated. No, it has equity woven into it. It has justice and fairness woven into it. That is to truly love your neighbor, the people that you are over. The parallel scripture for masters in Ephesians 6 is really interesting. Paul says this in Ephesians 6, 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Just like Paul reminded the servants in Colossians that there is no partiality in heaven, that they will be called to account for what they do. So Paul does the reverse and reminds the masters in Ephesians that there is no partiality for them, that they will be called to account for what they do. All of us are going to give account for what we do. Our motives, actions, and heart will be laid bare before God. Nothing will be hidden. And so we are called in what we do even in our work life, to do everything that we do as we would do it unto God. So when I work now, I am not working for, for in my business. I'm not working for my client's pleasure. I'm not working uh, for more money. I'm not working for success at your job. You're not working for your manager to recognize you. You're not working for a promotion. You are literally working for the King Jesus in his kingdom. And everything that you do Your work ethic, your yeses and your noes, your job description, things even in secret, everything that you do, you have to realize that you do for God, that he is the ultimate boss. He is the master of me and he is the master of you. He is the master of the boss. He is the master of the employee. He is the master of us all. And so all of us work unto him, how we care for one another, how we view our work, how we do what we are supposed to do, how we love one another, how we treat each other justly and fairly. Work is deeply intertwined in how we as Christians live in this world. And it can be either a witness for Christ as we are his representatives here on earth, or it can be a witness against him. 
Let us make sure that we don't compartmentalize our life and say, this part is God's and this part is not his. That is absolutely untrue. If we are God's, everything that we do is his and everything that we do should honor him and we should work for him and not for anything else. And we will receive his just reward. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we explore our work relationships, whether as the manager or the employee, and many of us are in both of those positions, caring for others while also being cared for. Lord, I pray that we would remember who it is that we work for, that we would remember to shift our perspective from earthly thinking to heavenly thinking, and that we would remember that everything that we do we do unto you and nobody else. It doesn't matter who asks us to do it. It doesn't matter how secret it is. It doesn't matter if somebody ever sees it, notices it, applauds it or not. That everything we do, we do unto you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.